For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Cover New Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening. That means lean the line from the front and wearing that captain's armband is Patrick. Patrick, I hope all is well, my friend. And how have you been since we last spoke, which I think was about a month ago? I'm really good, thank you. Happy New Year to everyone on the pod and everyone listening in. Um, yeah, let's go. It's 2022 now and I'm hoping for bigger and better things this year. All things Spurs related. So yeah, ready to go. I'm amped up. I've had a nice Christmas break. but I didn't eat too much, so I'm still in good shape. Still fit, still ready. So yeah, let's do it. Top man. Also tonight, you're joined by our forward hitman, Ryan. Ryan, I hope all is well and you had a great festive period. Yes, very well, thank you, Dan. Always happy to be back. Nice Christmas and New Year with the family. Just nice to get back talking Tottenham now, a bit of normality. Yes, it's been a long time coming and also a long time coming is the debut of our last guest for tonight. It's Jacob. Jacob, a pleasure to have you on board. I hope you're ready to chat all things Spurs. Yeah, yeah, I was born ready to talk about Tottenham, so um, thanks for the invite. Um, Happy New Year to everyone listening and you guys as well. And yeah, let's go and talk about the turnaround that we've had at Spurs. Absolutely. If you're born ready, you're in the right place. So before we chat all things football and Tottenham in the last month or so, let's do the social media bits. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming Spurs app, where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at COIS underscore COM. We're on all the major audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let me know. I'll sort it for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to business. And that business is the opportunity to mop up what has happened both on and off the pitch in that past month that we keep mentioning. So firstly, let's look back on the Europa Conference League and the fact we're no longer in the competition. Patrick, do you think this could be a blessing in disguise within the context of our season? Uh, such a tricky one. Well, actually, to be fair, I'm frustrated because I really wanted us to go and win it. I know people were saying it's a Mickey Mouse tournament and people were banned, you know, well, basically rivals such as Arsenal and uh, other clubs that didn't qualify it for it was, were, were saying, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse tournament, doesn't matter if you win it anyway, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that we were qualified for it and we were in it, I really wanted us to go and win it, put a marker down. Obviously, I never want us to be in there again, but whilst we were there, go on and win it, be the first guys to take it. And then obviously that type of success and that winning mentality that would breed or stem from winning it would hopefully kick the guys on and, and go on to bigger and better things. But with all that being said, the fact that we are out means that we can kind of concentrate just on our, our domestic, basically our domestic form, the league, and hopefully the Carabao Cup and FA Cup when we kick on to the later round. So it's not the worst thing ever. Obviously, you know, I'm a bit disappointed, but, you know, behind closed doors, I think we're all kind of celebrating the fact that we're out. Less games and fixtures to worry about. You know, we're already playing catch-up to a lot of the teams with the games in hand. So the fixture pile-up was becoming a bit of a problem or a concern. So, you know, we all know what kind of animal Conte is when he has just basically one or two games uh, a week or one game every other week to focus on. So, yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I really do now need us to cement a top four push and obviously try and get one of these domestic trophies. Now, Ryan, obviously there was a bit of hoo-ha regarding when the game could be played, whether it should be played. 
the health risks, etc., etc. Wrens didn't really cover themselves in glory. But do you think Tottenham as a whole were harshly done by in terms of the UEFA forfeit? I know Tottenham bent over backwards, gave a lot of alternatives as to when it could be played. I think one of them was 24 hours notice after a league game. Such was the will to get it played. So after being booted out of the competition in no uncertain terms, do you think we've been harshly done here? In a way, I do. Yeah, I think obviously being in a third tier competition, we were probably the biggest name in the tournament. You'd, everybody's used to favouritism through UEFA and everything like that. So you thought that they would want one of the bigger name teams still left in the tournament, get a bit more eyes on it, seeing it's, it's the uh, inaugural season of the competition. But I mean, I think I think this whole competition this season for us has been frustrating throughout the lot. The performances, the way we've gone out in the end, you can we can look at it as a blessing that frees up a, a day in the week for training for Conte to prepare for the league games or you can look at it like Patrick said, which I do as well, feel like it's a big opportunity missed for a trophy. We are starving for silverware now and this may be the third tier European competition, but it's good enough for us to win a trophy and it is very frustrating how they've actually uh, basically not adhered to our request and listened to what we've done. Like you said, Dan, we we actually offered to play 24 hours after a league game. And I think part of that offer was to go play in France yeah. as well. So, Ren didn't have to travel again. I know they kicked up a huge fuss after that and obviously made it probably a lot worse for us than they wanted. But, like I say, they, that's just probably another team that didn't want us further down the competition. Most teams would have been absolutely overjoyed that we had gone because, like I said, it's, yeah, it may be a lesser competition, but we've got a serial winner as a manager now who would have looked at that as a great opportunity to get his career at Tottenham started with a European trophy. So it's it's been a very frustrating season in Europe for us. Well, Jacob, if I'm to play devil's advocate here, let's be honest, we made a real fist of that campaign up to the point where we were kicked out of it. If we were kicked out in the semi-final, for example, you'd be up in arms going, this isn't fair. But let's be honest, by and large, we were pretty under par for Spurs. We should have romped that group. We could have lost 3-0 in the forfeit and still qualified. That's where we should have been, really. So the fact we were kind of into match day six, desperate for a result to even advance to the playoff round, sort of says it all. So yes, we were hard done by... Yes, it is a blessing in disguise, but you kind of just think, do you know what, after what's happened, it's not even a given we would have won it anyway. I know Ryan is right in terms of Conte being a fantastic manager in terms of silverware, but sometimes you just think, do you know what, just put it in the history books and just be done with it. Agreed, yeah. It's just, it's, as a Spurs fan, we all know that we get a lot of banter, you know, we, we, we're all aware of that. So it's like, in my mind, it's, it's really weird because if we won that cup, we would have got bantered. And if we got knocked out, we would have got bantered. Exactly. Either way, we would have got it, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. You know, up in shining lights that Tottenham won that competition. But if we got knocked out, we would have got the same sort of thing. So, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with Ryan that you do want to win something because we haven't won something since 2008, and it's like beggars can't be choosers. However, um, I don't think Conte would be looking at those competitions to try and win. You know, we're still in a couple of other cups that you know, if Conte wins the League Cup, which we could do if we get through the next round, um, you have got the FA Cup, and 
you know, as much as top four is in the trophy, it feels more like it's going to be harder to get into the top four than, you know, winning the league and stuff like that because Man City are in their own, in their own, you know, space at the minute. So I, I, I was, I was one of those that I wanted to win it. But at the same time, you all know full well that, like you said, it's not a given right. We weren't necessarily going to win it. Even though you looked at the teams that we had, you know, realistically, I was looking at every team in there thinking the only threat was Roma until, you know, the, the teams from the Europa League came down. But I don't know, I just feel confident that Conte can do something this season anyway. And the FA Cup is, uh, is a difficult one to win because, you know, with all the giant killings and stuff like that. But I look at the League Cup and think... If we go to Chelsea Thursday night and get a decent result, then all we need to do is turn the magic on at home and we're in the final. Well, this is it. That tournament, without being flippant, was probably going to be the bottom of the priority list in 2022. So, yes, it's annoying to be out of it, but the ends might justify the means if we do win domestic silverware. Of course, that's still to come and there's no guarantee with that either. But let's kind of leave Europe behind because let's focus on domestic matters. We'll focus on the Cups next week. But Patrick, I mean, where we are right now, before we go into each of the four games over Christmas, if we take a general overview of the league, Man United lost to Wolves tonight, which did us a massive favour. So we should be aiming for at least the Europa League. And already the Champions League is no longer out of our reach, is it? It's in the equation for this second half of the season. Yeah, no, listen, I think um, we should be ambitious and aim for um, a top four spot at the minimum. Um I know, obviously, you know, uh, at the start of the season, everyone wrote us off and Man United with their squad and, uh, you know, them strengthening, bringing in Varane, Sancho, Ronaldo, and pretty much said they were locking or shooting for the top four. But the way things are panning out and the way teams are dropping points and the way we have these games in hand, I even asked a question on Twitter two days ago saying, you know, we're, we're 10 points behind Chelsea and we've got three games in hand on them. Is it even, you know, uh, absurd to say that we could possibly aim for third spot? And I don't think it is. I know the game's in hand, you've got to win them, and they do come with a bit of added pressure. But I don't see why, with Conte coming in, uh, with us starting to look a lot more resolute defensively, you know, we're starting to score goals again. Harry Kane's looking like the play that we all know and love. Why can't we aim for third or fourth? Let's be ambitious and not just aim for fourth spot. If you aim a bit higher, obviously, even if you fail, you're still falling within that top four. So um, I don't see why we can't aim for that. I really hope and think that we can do something this season as long as we strengthen. This is now the time for us to strengthen and uh, you know show some ambition and push the boat out. So, yeah, going back to your question, Dan, I don't see why we can't aim for third or fourth. Well, Ryan, I know points on the board is always a preference, but with two games in hand, top four is back in our hands, which is somehow, I don't know, well, if you just said that in November or the middle of October under Nuno, you'd be thinking, well, that's not going to happen. It just kind of shows the marked improvement of two or three months ago. So as Patrick says, you're looking at Chelsea and Liverpool and right now they are probably just a little bit out of arm's reach. However, Liverpool are now losing Salah and Mane to the AFCON. Chelsea haven't been blistering and they've got Lukaku issues where he can fit into their team. So if you kind of keep this run of form going, it's not outside the realms of possibility either. Do you know what I mean? Like fifth could easily become second. It's kind of the season really is up for grabs now. Oh, massively. We've got a huge opportunity on our hands now that, like you said, if, if someone had said this in November, you would have laughed it off and just would have seen it as a massive unrealistic dream but now we're going into the second half of the season we've got our all 
pray and hope that the board pulls stuff out for Conte in this window, get him who he wants. Like I say, Chelsea uh, losing Mendy to the AFCON as well, so they'll have a month of Kepa. We know he is very prone to mistakes, Lukaku situations boiling up. Uh, Liverpool are losing Salah, Mane, Matip. So they're massive players for both teams to be losing. And now it's time for us to try and take advantage of that and push higher. Like I say, yes, the objective is fourth. Obviously, there seems to be a big North London derby battle on at the minute for that, uh, with Manu thrown in if they pick up some form. But like Patrick said, I don't see why we have to just look at that fourth spot to compete with Arsenal and Man United. We have the ability and the capability to look at third and even second with Liverpool. Yes, they are a wonderful team, Liverpool, but the top scorer and assist maker in the league is leaving for AFCON. The left wing forward is leaving for AFCON. He's got, I think he's got eight goals in the league from this season himself. So they could quite easily drop points and it's time for us now to not it's maybe time for us to not actually think about them like hopefully Conte is the type of manager who will take it game by game not put any thoughts into the players head because we've we've seen many times this squad are can easily break under the pressure if they feel like they've got to get top 4 and closer to Chelsea and Liverpool so just just to be in this position at the start of January is something that I never expected at all well, Jacob, we haven't spoken before, so I want to get your take on the new era at Tottenham. I mean, there's no league defeat to speak about under Conte. Eight matches played, 18 points from 24. It's not perfect, far from it. There's still a lot of iron uh, kinks to iron out, shall I say. But, you know, you can see that the players have taken to the methods quickly, and that had to happen, because when the state we were left in, in November, you're sort of thinking Europe's a pipe dream, and now we might be a bit, mm-hmm. bit giddy by saying second or third. It's, you know... But we're confident, and why not with that run? So you're sort of thinking, if this is the way that Tottenham are going to compete in the second half of the season, it does look promising. That's it, yeah, it does look very promising. You know, I was looking at the um, fixtures earlier, and I thought to myself, well, let me just have a look at what games we've got, you know, in all comps. And we had a good start under Conte. Then you're looking at it now, we've got two legs in the EFL, we've got the FA Cup. So, as I touched on earlier, we can concentrate. We've got, you know, we've got two weeks to not only concentrate on domestic competitions, but that gives us a two-week window before the Premier League starts again for Daniel Levy to get his money out and start bringing in some new additions that Conte can start working with and they get used to the surroundings and stuff and there's no you know, bigger game to come back to than the North London derby. So, um, from what I remember, we've got some hard fixtures. I know we've got, I think we've got Arsenal, then Chelsea. Then we've got Southampton, who we played the other day, who proved a tough night to crack. Um, and then I think it's Wolves, then Man City. So that's five massive games after, you know, hopefully we're in, we find ourselves in a final and through into the fourth round. So it is a call for optimism because like like Ryan touched on and Patrick, like if you said to me in November that we were going to push on and, you know, push for, you know, start talking about second and third, I'd have started laughing at you going, are you sure you support Tottenham? Because there's there's no way that that was going to happen. You know, I'm on a few shows with Ryan and it, all it was was a lot of uproar and stuff until Conte came in and pretty much switched everyone's mentality. And, you know, I'm sure you guys all thought that even though Conte's come in, there was no way he was going to get this kind of tune 
out of the players that we had. We all thought, you know, there's players that we've got that we all class as deadwoods, and I'm looking at them now saying that they're the first team in the team sheet, you know, namely people like Ben Davis, who I thought, I still used to think, how's he still here? But he's become such a good player under the guy. So Conte is literally working wonders and he's literally a magician because half the players that are playing now that are playing really well I never thought any coach could get that out of him. Now Patrick is this a good thing or a bad thing in terms of the squad because yes he's made miracles out of the likes of Harry Winks and Ben Davis but does this also create something of a smokescreen in terms of we don't need new players are we going to fall into that trap and think actually do you know what things are fine or should we still get new blood regardless of what improvements have been made to our first team squad? No, I think Conte is. Um, he's, you know, he's 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 been around the block long enough to understand and know the shortcomings of the squad. And I think even when he was interviewed on Saturday after the game, he still said that yeah, he he wants additions. He knows, you know, he's he, he knows where the shortcomings are or where we need to in, improve and strengthen. And he still aims and wants to bring players in because you know, I mean, we've seen the turnaround of our lifetime in, in Bain Davis. He's a guy that we all wanted out, like Jacob said. I was, you know, like when I saw his name on the team sheet, I think, uh, it, yeah, when, when um, I think when, when we played Man, Man United under Nuno and Ben Davis started at left back, we all knew straight away it was a, it was a L. We knew he was going to lose that game. But now Ben Davis at LCB. So, you know, left centre-back, uh, obviously not playing that wing-back or full-back role. He's been a revelation and he's been fantastic, which is, insane. I can't even believe I'm saying it, but it's true. He's been that good. Dyer looks really good and I would be surprised if he's not if he doesn't make the next England um, you know, our squad. He's been that good. And then obviously we've seen the resurgence of Harry Winks, who uh, was fantastic against Southampton and uh, I'm fairly you know, he got an, he should have had an assist for Harry King's goal. That was such a great pass. So you know we're all upset that he didn't get that assist and obviously Kane's goal was chalked off. So we've seen players really turn it around but we still know their shortcomings in the squad. We still need a creative midfielder. We're crying out for that. Teams know if they camp low, set up in a you know two two banks of four or low blockers, we're struggling to break them down. We can have all the ball in the world, but we're struggling to to break teams down and have that guard and that creativity. So we definitely need uh, an attacking midfielder. And obviously, I let the other guys uh, express who they think they need in, but. We need additions, especially if we want to challenge and, uh, and push on. Because I do believe that the top three and four spots are up for grabs and maybe even second if things go our way. But it just depends who we get in. Well, Ryan, let's expand on that then. Because if we're looking at Winks and Davis being offered redemption, they're not going in January. That's quite clear now. But you'd think players are going to leave because we've got Paratici in. We've got this kind of overhaul. It's going to happen. But kind of two of the most obvious targets three months ago and now no longer the players that could be leaving. So if you had to pick one, what's going to be the biggest exit from January from our point of view? Uh, it's definitely going to be uh, Ndombele. I mean, when he spoke about Winks in the press conference, Patrick spoke about he uh, spoke about his fight and he's proved to him that he could be trusted in this squad and team now, Winks, whereas... When he was asked about Ndombele, he said he thinks he's a midfielder, so it's it's not looking promising for Ndombele. You don't get any minutes now. Nah, I mean, obviously, he's behind Hoiberg, Skip, Winks, Della. He's far down that pecking line now, nah, Ndombele. So I do think if any suitable offers come in for him, whether it's a loan with an uh, obligation to buy or something, the only problem he's got with that is obviously he's 
Daniel Levy's uh, club record signing. So there's no way Levy is going to take a huge cut on the 60 million he's paid for Endombele. So whether a team's willing to come in and give us a reasonable price that our greedy chairman will want, then maybe he does stay, maybe he has another chance to fight for his place. But if if not Endombele, it's probably going to be Bergvine. I think he's linked with Ajax and Seville. Uh, other than that, I don't think there's going to be many outgoings, to be honest, because whether I know we're only in the three competitions now, but every every good team, every great team always has two good players to each position. So we just got to hope that Levy doesn't decide, oh, actually, I've changed my mind now. You need, you need money in now rather than... Uh, players coming straight in so you need to sell now so let's hope he can fix him up now Jacob this is about the time of year when Philip Coutinho gets leaked with clubs would you take him <laughs> at Tottenham in January it just depends uh, depends what kind of Coutinho you get because we are missing that kind of player you know we, we've all we've struggled um, to replace Ericsson in my eyes you know a lot of Tottenham fans were happy to see Ericsson go because apparently he couldn't take corners but he was instrumental to everything we did under Poch and we still haven't filled that void we've tried it with Lo Celso and he's always injured uh, Deli Alli isn't really somebody that's cut and thrust he's more of a second striker and Dembele we tried him for a bit but he doesn't work hard enough off the ball so we continue you know he knows the league it's just I think it's more about the financial package and whether he's even up for p- football anymore because he doesn't really play for Barcelona. Every time I've seen him play for Barcelona, it's been lethargic. Um, to be fair, the little spell that he had at Bayern Munich was good, but that yeah. was a couple of years ago and he actually played really well. So I was actually surprised that Bayern Munich didn't keep him on a permanent. But um, for me, we do need that type of player. So if that's an option, I'd be able to take it on loan. Permanently, I doubt it because I think he's on about 400 grand at Barcelona. So there's no way... Daniel Levy's even ever going to sanction that. Um, but for, you know, a loan, I think it'd be smart to get a player of that ilk on loan. You know, Conte's been known to bring in a player of that ilk and just build, you know, strong men around it. I remember when he was at Chelsea and Fabregas was just in the middle of everything while everybody just worked like dogs and he was just able to walk around the pitch and just keep feeding strikers. So if you could bring in, continue to have that sort of effect with Harry Kane... I think a, 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 an informed Coutinho gives Harry Kane a lot more goals than the creativity we've got at the minute anyway. And Patrick, staying in Barcelona and a cast-off, Usman Dembele, he's been linked with us across the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's going to be more a potential pre-contract with a summer move, but would you touch him anyway? Because he's got a long, long history of injuries, an expensive bust at Barcelona. Could he be repackaged at Tottenham? This is the thing, it's so tricky because like Jacob said, we're looking at Coutinho or there's talks of Coutinho and now obviously Dembele. They're two talented players, two super, super talented players on their day. But how frequent is their day uh, nowadays? You know, Coutinho is pretty much, you know, he's basically an expensive uh, substitute and Dembele is always injured. So we've signed so many injury prone players over the years and even guys that weren't injured before they signed for us like a Lasoso, they're always injured nowadays. So I would I would hope that we, you know, do our due diligence on these players and preferably I would go for 
more creative players. They don't have to be name branded. Obviously, we want quality, but I'd rather somebody that doesn't have the massive name like a Dembele or a Coutinho, but we know we can obviously get a tune out of them. They can step in straight away and just give us a creative spark. Because um, it was meant to be um, Ndombele, but for whatever reason, it's not happened. I've kind of given up on him now. I know he is a great player on his day, like we saw, you know, versus Liverpool. But the guy can't s- secure a spot. He can't cement a place. Even when we're screaming out for goals, Conte is not bringing them on. So we can clearly see he's not in our, you know, in our, in our basically plans going forward. So we do need someone. What about a while from um, from Leon or Leon? Yeah, yes, yeah, not heard much about him. But he's a fantastic player. Um, I mean, there's loads of creative players out there. You know, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure the scouts are hopefully doing their job because I don't want to bring in, you know, somebody like a Coutinho who, if Coutinho wants to come in and is ready to play and really ready to prove himself, he's only 29. So there's still a lot of years left if he's really hungry and up for it. But if not, there's no point in coming in, you know, playing well for a month and then we just get the Coutinho that we saw or seeing at Barcelona. If we get the Coutinho that we saw at Bayern Munich, because I think when we played, um, when we played them, we got battered eight two in the Champions League. He was playing, and um, I remember he was causing us all sorts of problems home and away. He was fantastic in that little stint up uh, um, for Bayern. So if we get that Coutinho, cool. If not, then um, yeah, I'm hoping the guys can see some someone else. But we do need a creative mid in. I think that's probably the most important player for us, um, you know, in the next month. Yeah, I certainly agree. Right, let's focus on matters on the pitch now. Ryan, as I mentioned, eight games unbeaten for Antonio Conte, three draws in that spell. Over Christmas, I don't know about you, but I thought the most frustrating draw was against Liverpool because when you consider that we had Jürgen Klopp's men on the ropes in the first half, it should really have been all three points. Yeah, that was a, that was a game that I wasn't expecting to finish, that annoyed and that just disappointed in not getting all three points. Usually when you play Liverpool, obviously, you always go into the game thinking and hoping that your team's going to come out on top, you get the three points. But most of the time, nine times out of ten, you leave with the drubbing that Liverpool can hand out quite easily. But again, I mean, I think it was exactly the same as last season. We had the chances, like the game last season where Bergvine had a chance to really sewed the game up for us and missed. I mean, this was exactly the same. We created the best chances in the game. We outrun Liverpool. We we was much the better team. But again, we just couldn't finish them chances. I mean, Harry Kane had quite a few. I mean, obviously he is, I agree with Patrick's comment earlier, he is starting to look again like the Harry Kane that we all absolutely admire at Tottenham. But he had some chances that game that you'd think he could put away in his sleep. They were quite easy chances for a player of his quality, but he couldn't get it done. I mean, that but that does show the progress we've had under Antonio Conte. To leave a game against Liverpool frustrated and very, very annoyed that we didn't actually leave the game with all three points is a good sign for us to look at. Well, this is it, Jacob. And also, we shouldn't forget Deli Alley's guilt edge miss. I know people are pointing at Alisson with a fingertip save, which probably was the difference. But if you look at the difference with Deli Alley two or three years ago, that's left with in the net and probably puts Tottenham on the way to victory. Yeah, Deli, yeah, Deli Alley a few years ago, he's chipping. Eh? He probably chipped the keeper. You know, yeah. he's, he's finishing was ridiculous. But um, yeah, like you said, Deli Alley was guilt, guilt edge. Um, it was a good save, but I, don't, I wasn't, in, you know, at the end of that game, I wasn't even looking at Deli Ali's chance. I was just like, 
I remember sitting there in the pub with one of my friends thinking to myself, like, realistically, based on chances, we could have scored about eight goals. Mm, like, there was yeah. about five... We should have scored about five very easily. Um, I don't know what was up with Harry Kane and Son's finishing, to be fair. They they needed to, you know, be a bit more ruthless. I'm not sure whether that was rustiness because we'd uh, not not played for a couple of weeks. But, yeah, like you said, that was that was a very frustrating game. You know, I, I, at first, I was, when, you, when you said the question, I thought maybe Southampton was. But I think with Southampton, it was just, they were just putting in two blocks of four with, with the Liverpool game. Because they're such a big club and it's a game of importance, we should have put them to the sword. And realistically, when you look at it now, if everything had gone the same way, but we got the three points against Liverpool, we'd definitely be talking about, you know, second and third because we would have had a couple more points on them as we speak. Absolutely. It's two more points for us, two less points for them. But exactly. if you look at the game itself, if someone said to you before kickoff, Patrick, a two-all draw in Liverpool, you'd be like, do you know what? We'll have that. Fantastic. However, as Jacob alludes to, so many chances in the first half alone you are disappointed at the end. I think almost at times, I think Tottenham players couldn't believe the positions they found themselves in because it was the same ball over the top. It was so easy that sometimes your mind just is switched off because it's so easy, isn't it? You know, if you have to work for a chance, you're kind of laser-focused, you end up scoring, but they couldn't believe the positions they were in and weren't taking those opportunities. And you do wonder how costly, well, they were costly, so we didn't get a win. But why were we not on it as we usually would be with Kane and some? Yeah, it's a weird one because... um. When you look at Kane and Son this season, as opposed to last season, they were so much more clinical and so more ruthless. Like I think Son last year was pretty much he was way over exceeding his xG or his expected goals um, per game. Like he was pretty much one of the most clinical finishers in Europe in terms of the chances that he should score, as opposed to what he was scoring. He was scoring for fun from all angles, left foot, right foot, inside the box, outside the box. And he hasn't been that clinical this season. The thing is, with Son, it's quite a tricky one because when you look at his numbers, he's got like eight goals, three assists. In terms of, you know, he's always going to fill um, a stat stat pad or he's always going to be a stat filler because he is such a good player. But if we're being actually critical and honest with ourselves, there's been so many chances where he should have tucked them away and he could easily be on 15 goals like Salah right now. But it's just those things. And obviously, Harry Kane has pretty much only just come into life recently. But yeah, against Liverpool, oh my God, we had so many chances. And like Jacob said, literally at half-time, I was like, how is it only... It was 1-1 at half-time, I think. But it could have been 4-1. Like, legit, we could have easily scored four uh, in the first half. And um, I kind of knew that it would come back to bite us. Luckily, we got something out of the game, which, you know, for all being honest, we, we would have loved that and would have bit your hand off. Uh, before the game was before ball was kicked, but the way the game went and the chances that we created, we should have won that game. I don't care what anyone says, we should have won that game, and it would have, like you said, been two extra points. But it does show that we are able to break teams down. I mean, to be fair, when teams play a high line and they come at us, we're more than capable to get them on the counter and to thread that ball across and obviously go at them. But we're struggling when teams are like, okay, cool. You know, you're you're a better team, so we're just going to camp. So it depends, obviously, who comes to play and how they want to play. But, um, yeah, we just need a bit more preciseness. It could have been the ring rust. It could have been the fact that Kane was out of sorts. It could have been the fact that Son is just coming back from COVID. There's a lot of factors in it behind maybe why we're not as clinical as we usually are. But hopefully, going forward, we can start tucking them away. Because if we do, then um, the league is going to definitely be scared of us. Well, Ryan, I think the biggest flashpoints in the game involved Andy Robertson. His red card, personally, was 
as obvious as night and day because although it took VAR in the end, that was a rather crude swipe on Emerson Royale. However, try and take your Tottenham hat off for a moment. Being as subjective as you can, do you think Harry Kane should have stayed on the pitch for his tackle on Andy Robertson? Uh, I do. I've said uh, on a different show already that I don't... I, I know both were reckless challenges and both were silly challenges, but I personally wouldn't have red-carded any of them, to be honest. I think it was very, very daft. I think it was... Keynes was a striker's challenge. That was very, very late, and it could have been a lot worse for Robertson, definitely. But usually you see... Uh, referees and VAR now they usually take previous decisions and carry them on through the game which is why I was really surprised when they actually sent Andy Robertson off but as, a, as when I take my Tottenham hat off like I say I still I would still say the same I wouldn't have given a red card to either player but sliding my Tottenham hat back on I, I loved seeing Andy Robertson get that red card it <laughs> It just, it just made it a lot better seeing him get that red card. You leave that Tottenham hat, Ryan, on. That's absolutely fine. So, um, Jacob, in terms of the atmosphere, I know this stadium has come into criticism at times due to it being a bit muted when it should be rocking, but it wasn't the case against Liverpool. You know, we talk about the 12th man. It seems like there's a feel-good factor within the stadium again, and I think that's obviously due to Conte's arrival, but that in itself is going to be a massive help in the second half of the season. That's it, yeah. It's, oh, it, it was great, you know, because obviously whenever we've, we've had Nuno, we've had uh, Mourinho, and we've also had <clears throat> sorry, the lockdowns as well. So there were times where the stadiums were completely empty. So to see an atmosphere, I think that's probably the first time we've had an actual proper atmosphere since since the lane, if you ask me. Um, it was it's, good, it's great to see. And I think with Conte and his um, animated self, we're going to need that in the season. Like you said, you know, we've got big games coming up like the North London Derby. We're going to have a second leg against Chelsea where we're going to need the 12th man. And we've got some massive games coming up um, against places like, you know, teams like City. In even, you know, games like Wolves and Southampton, you need the 12th man sometimes because on their day, these are squads that uh, can give anybody a bit of problem. So I do love the atmosphere. Um and long may it continue. I just love an animated manager. You know, I've always loved what Klopp does when he gets Anfield rocking because they're always a 12th man and that's what drives Liverpool across. Conte, even when he was at Chelsea, as much as Chelsea are our rivals, I used to love what he was doing there. So, yeah, as long as we can get the fans and the atmosphere to match a fortress mentality, then we should be going places this season and beyond. Well, Patrick, the stadium also played a part in the Crystal Palace win, although it was a 40,000 attendance instead of 60. Now, Boxing Day is always a little bit less due to there's no trains from the south. It's a bit of a ball like just to get to football in general. However, what can only be considered as reckless reporting the night before would not have helped because I know a lot of people hedged their bets and assumed the game was off. And that was a bit naughty, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was so naughty. And when you look into it, it turns out it was a Crystal Palace correspondent or so Crystal Palace reporter who was trying to pretty much get the the, the wheels in motion uh, and start the momentum because they uh, cheekily uh, saying that they had a lot of COVID cases when really realistically they they fielded a full squad minus their manager Patrick Vieira. So it looked like he was the only guy out, and they tried to get the game postponed. Uh, because of that so yeah but people seeing things on Twitter and believing it's gospel wouldn't have made the arrangements because like you said on Boxing Day 
it's not a straightforward travel. You'd have to book things in advance and pretty much know how you're getting there. So a lot of people didn't make it on the precedence that the game was going to get postponed or cancelled. Uh, as we, you know, we were all left in the lurch. People didn't know if it was happening or not happening. But then we all thought no news is good news. And obviously people made the assumption and luckily they did uh, and made it down. But yeah, I was at the ground and um, it was still, it was a decent turnout. Of course, it wasn't a full packed or, or packed uh, capacity, but we made our voices loud and clear. We sung our hearts out. And to be fair, it was a good performance. I know some people said, uh, you know, rival fans were talking about, oh, you needed a man sent off to win the game. But that's not true. We already 2-0 up before Zaha got his march, marching orders. And uh, like Jacob said about um, Andy Robertson, he's another guy who, you know, you, you, you love to see it when things don't go his way because he is a little petulant child on the pitch, always trying to cause problems, always trying to give it to players. So, yeah, he got his just rewards and um, it was a good win. We got we got our, basically our revenge on them because they, they, they uh, beat us 3-0 at home at their place, didn't they? So it's nice to get... Um, get one up on them and obviously grab the three points. Oh, it's perfect in terms of revenge. But Ryan, as Patrick just alludes to there, when you looked at Palace's team in the game before, I think it was one change. Now, do we have to be careful that clubs in general are trying to game the system a little bit in terms of these COVID pull-offs? Because it's kind of, you know, you look at backroom staff, that's not really reliant on injuries in terms of actually playing. So that's not really a call to get the game off. So were Palace trying to be cheeky, but their cheek didn't get rewarded? Oh, very, very cheeky. I don't know why. I mean, like you've said, it the capacity you expect it not to be full anyway, Boxer Day, but you'd have probably expected between five and 10,000 more. I mean, like you say, it's the Tottenham, yes, they're a London based club, but we've got supporters all over the country who would have to travel, maybe drive, like say, train it or catch a coach or something like that. So a lot of people reading that the night before, like, like Patrick said, a uh, actual Crystal Palace correspondent. He reports on the club, the the transfers, the main news, the issues. So when you see somebody like that reporting that the game is off, I mean, they, those were his words. It's just just waiting for Premier League confirmation, but the game is off. I mean, I was annoyed. I weren't even going to the stadium for that game, but I was annoyed the night before, just thinking another game now postponed, another game called off and. I mean, I think it's happening throughout the teams in the league. I mean, I think uh, Southampton have complained about the Newcastle game being postponed because they feel it's because St. Maximan and Wilson are injured. So a lot of teams are using, I think a lot of teams are using injuries or maybe a bit of fatigue to key players as COVID issues. But if the Premier League aren't going to look into that, if they're not going to actually really go into detail and get reports of who is down with COVID or down with injuries, then every club's going to keep trying it. I'm just delighted that the game was on because since that game they tried to call off, I, don't, I think they've had a pretty full... They've had a full squad since then. All their key players, besides Zaha, who was obviously sent off against us and got suspended, but they've not really missed any key players. So I can't understand... I get the manager... Um, not being in the dugout, yes, that's different. But every team's had that now. Klopp missed the big one at Stamford Bridge at the weekend, so that's just something you're gonna have to put up with. And with the amount of games teams have still got to play and catch up on, it's it is pointless trying to postpone more games and just build your own schedule to an 
a, a very difficult one for the season. Well, exactly. I mean, we talk about fixture pile-up. If that one got suspended also or postponed, you'd think, you're thinking, where does that fit? You know, it'd be an absolute nightmare. So credit to the Premier League for seeing sense and allowing the game to go ahead. The game was done and dusted before the break. Harry Kane opening the scoring, Jacob. But really, Lucas Moura's goal was the pick of the bunch. We don't really like Route 1 football in this day and age, but it does show how direct Tottenham can be. I think it was three touches from back to front and also shows how direct Lucas Moura needs to be. And if he keeps doing that, he's only going to improve. Yeah, I think on, <clears throat> under um, Conte, he's he's probably been our my, my favourite player. I think he's been my he's probably been the best player all season in terms of consistency and driving the team forward. You know, it gets to the point now where, like for instance, when we, I think it was Southampton we played against and he wasn't in the starting lineup, and straight away I thought, well, does it, who's going to be in this side driving us forward and taking people on? As much as Delhi's improved and we still had enough quality in that Southampton game, Lucas Moira was the he's the one that you know, he's so committed and I just think he's very underestimated in terms of what we need in our team. So I think we work better direct because as we touched on earlier, we haven't really got that number 10. We haven't got somebody that's in the middle that's going to create something out of nothing. So in my eyes, with the squad that we've got, there's only one option and that's to be direct. And I think it suits not just Lucas Moore, it suits a lot of players because Harry Kane's getting more chances because the opportunities are opening up a, a lot more frequently and you know it gets to the point where it eases a lot of the pressure of our defence because we've all known each one of our defenders that are starting now and never been improving they've been known to make mistakes or to, to be calamitous or us as fans haven't really had the confidence mm -hmm. in them being able to push forward so I think direct football across the board helps everybody out. Patrick <coughs> kind of mentioning Harry Kane in terms of his goals and how he's going up through the gears. In terms of numbers for the season, I think we have to admit he's not going to match previous efforts. However, are we at a point where it doesn't matter as long as the goals are important? Like, he could score seven all season, but if he gets the winner in a North London derby, winner against Chelsea in the league and what have you, you kind of think it doesn't really matter so much about hitting the targets of the golden boot. It's been a disaster first half. Let's ignore that. But if he comes good when it really matters, there's not going to be many or any complaints, is there? No, I, I get what you're saying, Dan, but I'm not hearing that. I want at least 15 goals from him. Because if we're getting about 15 goals, then, yeah, you're pretty much bang on with what you're saying about he's going to score the goals in the big games. I think he's on about four or five at the moment. So I'm still expecting a good return. He got half a season and we know we know what Kane's like. He can score in bunches. I mean, he was bumped off a goal against Southampton. I believe he could have had another goal somewhere else, which was harshly chalked off. So we know he's he's able to get goals in twos and threes um, when he's clinical and on point. And I do honestly believe, like like Jacob saying, if if Lucas Moore was in the team, he's driving the ball forward. That goal that he scored, literally, you know, three touches, crossed the ball, Kane, Kane scores, bang. Uh, obviously, Kane's capable of scoring all types of goals. So yeah, I still want fifteen goals from him, which isn't a good return for someone of Harry Kane's uh, capabilities, but. We'll, we'll take it, considering what happened at the beginning of the season, considering Nuno, etc. But yeah, we need 15 goals from him if we're aiming to, or trying to get anywhere near top three or four. Um, that's just being realistic. He's our main man. He's our main goal threat. If Son's on eight goals, we also expect about 15 to 18 from him. We're going to need that because the rest of the guys, uh, you know, if we're looking at them in terms of previous years, they're not going to score the goals we need. So it has to come from Kane and Son. So to be fair, we still need about 15 from him. OK, then, Harry, if you're listening, 15 goals as long as you deliver the top four, the League Cup and the FA Cup, and then we'll call it quits, OK? 
Let, let's go. Let's go. The challenge is on. Ryan, going back to the Palace game very briefly, it was as good as done as 2-0, but it was done by the time Wilf Sahar was sent off. So the Ivorian is known from whinging from time to time. Actually, he loves a good whinge, but he can only really be angry with himself after falling into this perfect trap that Tottenham set for him. Oh, you know, I did say earlier, Dan, about Robertson, that was sweet, but the Zaha one was just, it was, it was beautiful just to see him act like that. I mean, he is, he's just, a, he is a child on it. I mean, he's got the ability, he is, he is a brilliant footballer on his day when he turns up, when he concentrates on his football, but like I say, it doesn't take a lot to wind him up, to be honest. I mean, the ball had gone out for a throw-in, so for him to then decide to turn around and shove Emerson, you know it's only going one way. He's not going to get a slap on the wrist for that after already being bucked. There's no, there was no need to do that. I mean, he, they were two 0 down, and the way we was controlling the game, he obviously didn't expect anything of Palace in the comeback. But anything can happen in football, and he is their most talented player. So if there was going to be any chance of a comeback he would have been at the forefront of that so the big benefit for us was obviously playing 10 men and their uh, best player being sent off but it's just it's so nice when you see players like that get sent off and then still complain for five minutes afterwards as if he's been done wrong by the officials Okay, let's fast forward to that period in between Christmas and New Year when no one knows what day of the week it is, but we did play Southampton. I remember that. Jacob, what did you make of the first half? We went behind to a James Ward-Prowse goal. Just didn't look like we woke up there, did we? I know we kind of got back into the game later, which we'll discuss in a moment, but from an out-of-the-blocks kind of point of view, we didn't get out of the blocks, did we? Yeah, like I said about Lucas Moy, we just missed that intensity. You know, when you yeah. go to Southampton... Yeah, you have to be on job. You know, they're, as much as they can be up and down, one minute they're in a relegation fight, one minute they're in the mid-table, I do like watching Southampton and they're pressing. It's 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 it's, it's, it's good football. Maybe they just, you know, if House, if uh, Hassan Hurtle got given maybe a bit more money and they backed him a bit more, I think they'd push themselves up the table. But like you said, you have to be ready for those teams. Those, you know, your Southamptons, your Liverpools that will always press at home. And we just weren't ready. They were beating us to every ball. You know, even people like Ward Powers were beating Hoibo to the ball, which I was shocked at. So when you see things like that, you know it's going to be a problem. Um, we got ourselves back into it, but um, that was one of the games that I was disappointed at with because, uh, you know, if they didn't get a man sent off, I don't think we come out of there with a draw. Um, and even though they did get a man sent off, we didn't get the win, even though, to be fair, we had a lot of Tottenham fans going mad, but we did literally do everything apart from score. You know, there was a lot of... I think we had... 21 shots in total in the game, 11 on target. It's like you can't really ask much more of the team apart from just make sure you stick it in the net. Um, it was also robbed oh, as well, like the Harry Kane goal. That was just... You know, when you look at that, you just think it's embarrassing, but it gets even worse when you see the Phil Foden one the next day. It's just it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's like, realistically, if, there's ever, if you were going to say which one's more offside, it's Phil Foden. But we all know how the bias goes with Man City because they get away with a lot of things. You know, they got away with quite a lot of stuff with the Gooners the other day. But um, going back to the game, it wasn't the best, but in terms of the grand scheme of things, especially as Conte's been here, you're, you're, you're right with, with the players that we've got, you weren't always going to just keep winning games. You know, we've been spoiled with winning quite a lot of quite a lot of games recently. So 
you're just one of those you take the rough with the smooth. As, as long as we're not losing games and we're building a momentum, you know, even though the Watford game wasn't great, we nicked to win. So it's just one of those you just got to keep moving forward rather than looking backwards. Well, that was the question I was going to ask you next, Jacob. So I'll stay with you very quickly. But is it exactly that? It's all about feeding the machine that you might look back at the end of the season and that points difference, you know, you get that draw at Southampton could be the thing that gets you over the line. Yes, it's disappointing, but you might look in the wider context of the campaign and you might look at not losing where I know for a fact two, three months ago we would have lost under Nuno at Southampton. So you kind of have to think big picture at times, don't you? That's it, yeah. It's like... You know, especially with the um, results around us working Mondays, you know, West Ham had their little blip, Man United are still going through theirs. Arsenal looked like they were charging forward, then they lost to um, Man City the other day. So it's like, get just you know, as long as you're not, if you're playing badly, as long as you're not losing, I'm all right with that. But then obviously you've got to get the wins. You know, you can't just keep drawing because it'll get to the point where you keep drawing. That'll become our blip when everyone around us is winning. But um yeah, when you look at the table, as long as we can keep a momentum going, you know, now I know we've got the domestic cups, but we need to still keep trying to get through those because, as I mentioned before, we've got a lot of difficult fixtures. And if we can get through the fixtures in sort of January, February, um, March, then April, May lead on to them, we've got very favourable fixtures. And if we're in, you know, sort of second, third, fourth, I think we'll push on and go and get, and go and get into the Champions League. Well, Patrick, Jacob mentioned the VAR call against Harry Kane. It's not the decision itself. Obviously, that's infuriating. But it's when you see something the next day and you're kind of sort of thinking, where's the consistency here? How is one decision a goal which looks not onside at all and our one is chalked off because it looks almost onside? You know, we're kind of at the point where we're not should... Sorry, we shouldn't be having goals ruled out due to armpits. Last season, that was the case. That was really frustrating. We're meant to be past that, and we're not. So it's just a bit of pill to swallow, isn't it? You kind of think it's technology, it's great, but someone's made a balls up somewhere, and you, you can't think how that logic as to why it's not a goal has come to that conclusion. Yeah, it's infuriating, puzzled, bamboozled, bewildered, whatever you know, word you want to use. But obviously, I was just more pissed off than anything because Harry Kane, for me, and for everyone in football, he was onside and they chalk it off. Uh, going back to what Jacob said, he said, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we drew the game. Uh, we didn't lose, so it was a good thing. Uh, we did everything but put, a, put the ball in the net. The frustrating thing is we put the ball in the net on two other occasions. Harry Kane scored a legitimate good goal. And then also Fraser Forster blatantly bundled the ball over the line. Uh, Doherty didn't foul him. The referee protected him and then said it was a foul, no goal. But then even VAR should have looked at that and said it wasn't a foul. Fraser Forster messed up. That's a goal. So, realistically, we should have won that game 3-1. And I know it wasn't the most convincing attacking, you know, uh, output from us, but still, we should have won that game 3-1. Totally different story. But on the other side, we went a goal down and we showed some fight to get back in the game. So, we'll take it. But it's just it just doesn't make sense. VAR twice on, in that game completely bumped us and ripped us off. And then when you look at the next day, Phil Foden was more offside than Harry Kane and they let the goal stand. And it's fine lines because even though it's Man City and they're, they're battering every team, they only won that, that game 1-0. Uh, so that goal was the difference. And again, in our, in our game, that goal 
could have been and should have been the difference. And I do believe if we go 2-1 up then, because the, the second half had just started, I honestly think we would have battered them because they would have just caved in. They was already a man down. Their heads would have dropped and we probably would have walked that game quite comfortably. Um, so it's just frustrating because there's no consistency. You know, if Harry Kane's got offside, then Phil Foden is as well and we take it. Even though we shouldn't be looking... For me, VAR is, is almost there to like look to chalk every goal off. It shouldn't be that. It should be for key decisions when the referees miss something uh, and then they go back and rectify it. But it shouldn't be there to literally, every time someone scores, they're looking for a way to like chalk it off. And for me, that's not how football should be. So, yeah, it's frustrating. But at the end of the day, also, we have to have the mentality to go and kill games off. We can't let decisions like that dictate or define our season so there are other ways to look at it but of course it's frustrating because it's not fair and uh, and it seems to be for us that we always get the wrong rubber de green well ryan i was going to ask you about fraser forster patrick's stolen your thunder a little bit but simply that's a goalkeeper getting far too much protection because you can watch that back many times and it's not a foul now i know the var from kane is frustrating but for me that was even more frustrating because i can't see where the foul is could you no, that was just tip of the iceberg, that one. I mean, as infuriating as the Kane decision was, I mean, before I go on to the Doherty one, that Kane one is just, for me now, Harry Kane's got a, a price on his head, let's say, for the VAR and officials. I mean, he's labelled on Twitter and everywhere else by rival fans as a golden boy. Uh, he can't do no wrong. He'll get all the decisions. I think these sort of things could come and bite Tottenham in the arse with things like this because they don't want to be seen giving him a decision like that where fans are still going to complain. Rival fans will still say, no, look at him, he's offside, blah, blah, blah. So I think we're going to get a few more of them this season with Harry Kane just for the officials and the Premier League itself to say, well, no, look, he's no different to anyone else. But the Doherty one, I mean, it would have been Matt Doherty's goal as well because forced the he just dropped it and it hit the uh, Doherty's heel and rolled in. So I could understand if Doherty had even slightly touched him with his shoulders or his back, but that was just forced to bottle in the challenge and dropping the ball straight into Doherty. And the worst thing of it is as well, the officials have been told to not blow the whistle until the ball has gone in the net. And he blew the whistle before the ball had gone in, which is why VAR couldn't look at it. And, now, if he'd done his job correctly and waited, the ball had gone in, then blew his whistle. VAR could have looked at that, checked it and told him, no, it's a goalkeeping error. Nobody's touched him. Nobody's fouled him. It's a clean goal. So that game we were really harsh done by. But then at the same time, like the lads have said, we can use those decisions as a bit of an excuse for a game that in the end we should have won regardless of those decisions. That's probably the only game where I've questioned Conte a slight bit to where we've kept on the three centre-backs or the two holding midfielders. I thought we could have gone a bit more adventurous after that. I mean, we were camped in the Southampton half. I think we just probably needed an extra creative body, as creative as it can be, and then Dombele or somebody like that who could come on, pick the ball up, maybe a couple of decent runs, maybe find that pass that we were looking for. Because towards the end, it was just ball out wide, whip the ball in, see if any of our lads could get their heads on it. But to come away without those two goals, I think 3-1, If I think if, like Patrick said, if Keynes had counted, which it should, 
the game could have finished four five one because Southampton were dead and buried before that goal. As soon as the sending off came and we dominated the rest of that game, then I think it could have been a lot worse for Southampton. But it's it's one of them. Just got to dust yourself off, carry on to the next game, and hope that we uh, get rubber the green after that. Yeah, I don't think Doherty and Gill playing inverted wing-backs was the answer. At times, it was like playing with 10 men ourselves when Doherty was on his left side, cutting into his right, and you just think, oh, like, this isn't the answer. But, you know, it is a draw, which was frustrating at times, but better things were to follow. And Patrick, we talk about the difference at the end of the season. That point might be the difference, but it could also be three points that were earned on the weekend because Davinson Sanchez winner, the game wasn't pretty by any stretch. But, you know, you're looking at that performance and thinking, not one to write home about, but three points, we'll take that. Thank you very much. Exactly that. And, you know, dare I say it, that's the sign of a good team. They're yeah. not going to play well every week. We all know that. It's not realistic. Um, we're not also going to get... And remember, um, Dan, we said this a while ago, when Chelsea were nicking, ga- uh, go- uh, sorry, nicking games and their defenders were scoring. And I was saying that we also need input uh, and, you know, productivity from not just our main guys, Son and Kane. So it was, for me, it was a really good win. Um, we pretty much threw everything at them by the kitchen sink. Uh, we had like 70 to 80% possession, literally battered them, but we couldn't score. We couldn't break them down. But to get that from a Son, you know, Son cross from a free kick and then Davison Sanchez, all people to pop up with the with the winner, I'll take that all day long, man. And we need... We're going to have games like that where it's not going to be your typical Son or Kane or even look at Man City in the final, the Carabao Cup, when they beat us. It was Ruben Diaz that scored or Laporte, I can't remember, one of the oh. defenders. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. it. That's, and it was a header as well, wasn't it? Something like that was a scrappy goal. Yeah. So sometimes you, you need games like that where other people are chipping in and getting a winner. So, yeah, I'll take that. And for me, that, that for me showed that we had turned a massive corner. We believed in ourselves. We continued right to the dying whistle. Uh, didn't give up and obviously we went and, and got the winner. Um, you know, rivals again will say, oh, you're lucky, you scraped a win, all of that. But if you really look at it, there was only going to be one winner and thankfully we did get that goal. Job done. And Davison Sanchez, what a revelation as well. We've not really spoke about him, but he's been immense since Conte come in. I know he still is capable of the one or two you know, uh, brain farts, but to be fair, even against Southampton, Diam miskicked the ball and Davison Sanchez read the situation and literally got a last-ditch block on, um, on I think, one of their... I can't remember his name now, but basically a Southampton guy was in and probably would have scored. And, he, yeah, he's been immense. Brick wall, uh, definitely one of the contributing factors for the clean sheet. So, yeah, long may it continue, because we've not really spoke about him, but he has been another one of uh, Conte's revelations as well. So, yeah, I'm really pleased for him, and I'm glad he could get the win. It was well-deserved for, for him and the boys. Ryan, we could also whinge about VAR in this game or the lack thereof because I can't remember which Watford defender it was because I can never remember the Watford players because they change so frequently. But the one who wrestled Eric Dyer to the ground in the first half. I mean, that's not even playing the it ball, was, is it? So you're sort of thinking, how is that not a penalty? It was Kuko. That's it. It was Kuko, That's Dan. the one. Kuko. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... When you see stuff like that, I mean, I think it was... Was it the 2018 World Cup where every foul like that was given as a penalty, especially from corners? And I mean, I don't know what they're actually looking at at the minute because he's got both arms wrapped around him. He's pulled him down to the ground. And obviously, yes, Eric Dyer wouldn't have scored from that corner, more or less. But you still 
rugby tackling a player in the penalty box, you're still stopping Eric Dyer from even attempting to win the ball from that cross. So Ardy cannot give decisions like that is beyond me. I mean, I think they've just taken this VAR to a whole different level. Rule changes every season, different angles for different things. I mean, it's getting really daft now, but I do just want to add to what Patrick has said there. I, I think Davinson Sanchez has been terrific since he's come out. When Christian Romero went down and obviously got injured, I was fearing for the absolute worst because we was brand new under Conte. We was thinking of a Sanchez, Dyer, Davis trio at the back. And I mean, that that's enough to scare you out of yeah. watching football. It's... <laughs> It's, you, you, that's not that's not something that you would uh, dream of. But under Conte, all three of them have been absolutely brilliant. They haven't put a foot wrong. Obviously, yeah, they are all capable of making a mistake. But at the minute, they, the working as a trio is unbelievable. So I, I think even Christian Romero might uh, take his time to get back in this team if he's free carry on. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice problem to have. As you say, the... Trio of Dyer, Davis, and Sanchez is something that fills you with dread, where it would do, but now it's actually looking like a, a competent back three, and credit to Conte. That competent back three is in front of our goalkeeper, Jacob, and finally, if you're in charge of the contracts at the club, are you putting one in the direction of Hugo Lloris after not only a solid festive showing, but it's just been a capable set of hands all season? Because surely we can't let this man walk away on free. Oh, yeah, we've definitely got to wrap him up for at least a couple of years because. You know, they, they, we, we all know that he had a little blip where everybody was like, come on, we've got to replace him and stuff. Uh, not sure what happened there, but every professional footballer goes through a blip, you know. You look at Ronaldo, he's arguably one of the greatest footballers ever, and he's going through a blip where he's not scoring at the moment. So if he can have one, so can Hugo. But um, this season, and even under Mourinho, he's been, he's, he's played every game, he's been so solid. Um you know, obviously, we get a lot of people on our fan base that will criticise him as a leader. And, you know, I'll be one of those to say that, not him personally, I just don't like goalkeepers being captains. But he's obviously having a good influence in the dressing room and he's got the respect to the players because how many managers have been at Spurs and they haven't changed that. So he's been Mr. Consistent. He's another one that we don't really speak about in terms of, you know, since Conte's come in as well, because, like, you know, even against Watford the other day, he pulled off a great save against um, Josh King, um, even against Southampton. He feels like every game he's pulling off a save where we needed it, you know. So if we've nicked it 1-0 or, or we've gone on to win 3-0, Hugo's made a couple of good saves in order to keep the score line at 0-0 to keep us winning. So, you know, there's a lot of there's goalkeepers that you could go out there, but the ones we're being linked with, I'd rather have Hugo, you know, up until he's 40 because, you know, people like Jordan Pickford, I wouldn't, I, don't, I still don't believe he's a great goalkeeper. We've been um, linked with like Dean Henderson, who again showed good spells at uh, Sheffield United and a bit of United. But if United don't trust him over De Gea, then I don't want him. So um, I think we need to keep Hugo for a couple of years and make it a priority to, you know, if we're going to get a keeper, if he's going to be a young keeper that's going to learn from Hugo, get him in at the end of this season. And if he's going to be, you know, a big, namely keeper, then we sign Hugo for two years with looking at a long-term project of bringing in someone within those, two, well, at the end of those two years. Because I think after two years, Hugo would probably want to maybe try something else himself. 
Yeah, I think that's a very shrewd strategy. I don't think Gallini's the answer. But no. we're going to have plenty of time to talk about transfers or the lack thereof because I know there's going to be some whinging across January when we don't sign players. Hold your hats on that. Next week, it's going to be a look at the Cups and we'll have a bit of a transfer talk anyway about the targets we'd like. But we've hit full-time on this episode, so I need to thank my three PodCon members for tonight. Jacob, a cracking debut. I hope you enjoyed that one. I would like to join us sometime soon. Oh, definitely. I definitely agree. I, I always enjoy talking Spurs, especially, you know, I've, this is the first time I spoke with you, enjoyed that, and I've spoke with Pat um, on a couple of occasions. I think the first one I ever did was with Pat on uh, on Ryan's platform, and with Ryan's platform, he allows me to, you know, be vocal every week, so I'm, I'm always around to, to speak Spurs. Fantastic. We'll have you back in the fold soon. Ryan, mm-hmm. thanks for your time again this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. No problem, Dan. It's always nice to come on here every Monday, speak Spurs. He's here with a captain, Patrick. Love doing these with him. And obviously one of my uh, uh, gang members from Friday, Jacob. Love talking Tottenham with Jacob, especially when uh, when he gets upset on a Friday show. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you see that one week, Dan. I look forward to it. Actually, no, because that would mean Tottenham would probably lost. But anyway, Patrick, <laughs> thanks for running the channels this evening around that captain's armband. Yeah, always a pleasure. Like I said, Happy New Year to all Spurs friends and family. Um, Jacob, it's always great um, doing pods with you. So, yeah, looking forward to more. Obviously, Ryan, you're my brother, so it's all love. Dan, always all love as well. So, yeah, let's just keep that momentum. We've got Chelsea on Wednesday. Hopefully, next week when we catch up, we're talking about another win or another great performance. Yeah, let's go. And let's not overlook the might of Morecambe at the weekend. But anyway, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And until next time, come on you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.